The Hamlet Podcast. Hello and welcome to this exploration of what might come after Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Conor Hanrity. As I mentioned last time, the plan was very much to create 20 carefully chosen bonus episodes that celebrate particular people and formats essential to our awareness of Hamlet through the ages. It's been on my mind in some form or another to acknowledge the huge influence that Hamlet has had and the range of work that it has inspired. I joked in some of the very earliest episodes that this play, of all plays, is not only full of famous lines and quotes and ideas, but its lines themselves have been used to give titles to a huge range of other stories. The trouble is, what do we do next? We've read Hamlet, or we've watched it, or listened to it. We reach the end, and the question is, what next? I thought all of my problems may have been solved when I was mildly curious about a film that came out in 2008 called Hamlet 2, a pretty inane comedy about a high school putting on a production of a new musical, itself I believe, the Hamlet 2 of the title, featuring Hamlet, Jesus and a time machine. Sadly enough, I wasn't quite able to get my hands on a copy, and so I had to settle for watching the trailer. So I speak as one who has not seen the whole film, but I don't know if it has much to tell us about the potential aftermath of the play or its story. A film I did encounter recently was Ophelia, which was first a young adult novel and more recently a film starring Daisy Ridley. This purports to tell the story from the perspective of the headstrong, plucky young Ophelia. It's quite pretty to look at, but at the point of the story where we learn that Gertrude has a twin sister who's a banished witch living in the woods outside the castle and can make a sleeping potion very like the one that Juliet drinks in her play, they lost me. It does have quite a sweet ending, sorry if I'm going to spoil it now, as it imagines a life after Elsinore for Ophelia and her daughter. Other writers have approached the play from other perspectives. In 1991, Lee Blessing wrote a play called Fortinbras, imagining what happens immediately after the end of the play, although the piece still manages to feature appearances by the ghosts of almost everyone who's in Hamlet. A little later, Howard Barker imagined things from the Queen's perspective in Gertrude the Cry. In this play, Gertrude is represented as the mastermind behind all of the stickier events of the play, and it presents her experience as an example of a woman's fight to exist on her own terms, the cry of a damaged world. Perhaps unsurprisingly, nobody has yet risen to the challenge of writing it all from Polonius's point of view, or indeed from the villain Claudius's perspective. Closest to that was John Updike, who wrote a novel about Gertrude and Claudius and their affair and the business leading up to the beginning of the play, giving a sense of what life might have been like with and during the reign of old Hamlet. Going even further back in the narrative arc, Ian McEwan wrote a recent novel called Nutshell that gives voice to Hamlet in his mother's womb. So much for him. There's a very interesting sequence of novels called the Hogarth Shakespeare series that have been published in the last couple of years. Only seven of them have appeared thus far, each of them retelling the story of a Shakespeare play. There is one about Hamlet that is scheduled, but it hasn't been published yet. A character in the aforementioned Hamlet 2 does wryly ask the very pertinent question about making a sequel to this story. Doesn't everybody die at the end of the first one? 
one of the most famous responses to the play actually happens simultaneously with it. This is Tom Stoppard's inventive existential comedy, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. It's hard to believe that the play is already over half a century old. It's been hugely influential, inspiring theatre artists all over the world to reimagine classics of literature from the perspective of their supporting characters. There's a very good film of it. It was recently redone with Daniel Radcliffe and broadcast within National Theatre Live. But amid all of these things, you have to remember that Stoppard did it first and did it brilliantly. I acted in the play while I was a student, opposite my best friend, and to this day neither of us could tell you who played Rosencrantz and who played Guildenstern. But we did rather well in it all the same. It's fiendishly difficult to read, and indeed to memorise, but on stage it can be very entertaining. A few decades before Stoppard, and even more devilishly clever, James Joyce also riffed on Hamlet in both Ulysses and in A Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man. I wouldn't dream of trying to compete with the late, great and much-missed Frank Delaney, whose podcast about Joyce was the inspiration for the Hamlet podcast. So, if you'd like to know more about what Joyce was doing with Hamlet, Rejoice is the podcast for you. Hamlet never ceases to inspire. Plays, novels, films and television shows all borrow from it and explore its influence. One of the funniest of these is Paul Rudnick's play I Hate Hamlet, in which a television actor wrestles with the idea of playing Hamlet and is visited by the ghost not of his father, but of the famous actor John Barrymore, in whose apartment the man is staying. Rudnick is one of the funniest playwrights in the world and wrote a startling piece about some of the difficulties of the Broadway production for The New Yorker. In this, I Hate Hamlet became I Hit Hamlet and is very much worth a read. While I was at university, one of the most provocative texts we had to study was the postmodern German theatre text Hamlet Machine by Heiner Müller. Back then, I knew far less than I liked to think and understood even less than that. I found this terribly inaccessible and really, I actually just hated it. Little did I know that Muller was a remarkably committed and influential theatre maker, intensely engaged with Shakespeare and the classics, grappling with them and attempting to shine new light on them in the late 20th century. The text of the play is extremely short, it's very easy to read and very quick, but it is brilliant and has led to some remarkable theatre productions. Even more recently, as a response to Muller's response to Shakespeare, the Polish writer Magda Romanska wrote Ophelia Machine, again turning the material on its head and re-examining it from another perspective. This is how it goes, of course. Even though the play ends and the characters die, what they provoke in us, what they inspire or ignite or aggravate or challenge in us, this is what endures. This is what continues to spark new ideas and new responses to the play. That list of artworks that even just take their names from Hamlet feels like it is beyond counting. From David Foster Wallace's Infinite Jest, which does incorporate elements of the play, to Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, to the musical Something Rotten. There are just so many of them. Some other podcaster might have fun trying to catalogue them all. I know I said early on that I'd keep a running tab, but somewhere between Dublin, London, Atlanta, Cork and Corona, I fear the file got deleted. The list of things to discuss is almost inexhaustible. Even within all we covered this week, I forgot to mention a special performance of the play starring Tom Hiddleston, directed by Kenneth Branagh. 
I also overlooked a beautiful book by the brilliant French writer Hélène Sixou called We Defy Augury, and that's really one not to miss. In fairness, we don't even have a definitive text of the play, so of course the work of exploring its influence will never be finished. Quite consciously, I haven't really delved into the realm of adaptations during this sequence of podcasts, or indeed at all. We've been talking about Shakespeare's Hamlet, after all, and so the versions that dispense with the text are a little beyond my remit. For all that, there's plenty to be said for adaptations, from Jack Benny's To Be or Not To Be, to The Banquet, and of course The Lion King, and the forthcoming extravaganza, The Northman. So, I reckon we might need to reconvene for a chat about them later in the year. On this note of acknowledgement that the play continues to inspire even after it ends, I'll mention my favourite recent contribution. I know we talked about it before, but this is Maggie O'Farrell's Hamnet, which ends with a performance of the play described in emotional, exhilarating detail. The novel is so rich, so evocative, and yet it ends with the play. It has to. And so, for now, must I. I want to thank you again so much for joining me throughout this adventure. Something like 280,000 streams in over 130 countries. These, these numbers are unimaginable to me considering where I was when I started all of this. I am toying with the idea of maybe starting on another play sometime later this year and I'd really love to hear from you if you have one in mind that you'd like it to be. But for now... I will be working on The Persians, a whole other podcast project that I developed last year and which will be presented in person at the Abbey Theatre, Ireland's National Theatre, later in January. If you're interested, the website for that one is just as easy as the original. This time, it's persiansthepodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you on social media. On all of them, it's at Hamlet Podcast. If it isn't too late by now, I wish you a very happy, healthy, prosperous and peaceful new year. Take care.